Hey, welcome everybody to Sunday night live or Sunday afternoon live or whatever it is, wherever you are watching. Uh, listen, we have a really good one for you today. Uh, I'm excited about it. We have a lot to talk about. So many things are going on. Uh, pretty unbelievable. Damon Duck wrote an article, Give Us a Leader. I'll post that tomorrow. Uh, we have smart cities. We have all kinds of things that are taking place. We're going to get into these in just a minute. And we're going to be finishing up the book of Jonah at the same time. So I titled the message with Jonah, real simple, is God ever going to deal with this? Jonah was frustrated. Is God ever going to judge Assyria? We can look at our world and say, you know, what's going on? Everything is such a mess. So we're going to get into that. I'm going to show you a lot of things, and I believe it's going to be quite good. Hey, before we get going, just a reminder. If you're watching on YouTube, if you could like and subscribe, uh, it does help us to get the message out there um, when, when people like and subscribe and share. Uh, if, you, if you like what we do here at Hope For Our Times, I would ask you to just partner with me in the sense of just sharing um, the videos that you watch. It really is encouraging uh, to know that people are watching. I thank you guys for watching and supporting. And then also, if you're watching on the app, or if you aren't watching on the app, I want to encourage you to download the app if you haven't done it already. Well, here's what's going on right now. We have some really cool things happening. Uh, tomorrow, I have my live stream. I'll tell you who my guest is in just a minute. Tuesday, we have another live stream on YouTube. That's actually going to be on the app, on YouTube, on Roku, pretty much everywhere. And then on Wednesday, what I've done the last two Wednesdays, I've gone to uh, some, uh, a special on the app. And it's cool. I just do a Q&A with everybody and, uh, and just going back and forth, having conversations with people on the app. So that's really cool. And that's uh, Wednesdays at 2 o'clock also. So it's free to download the app. There's no extra charge to be able to uh, join the Q&A uh, on the app. And uh, with that, it's also on Roku. It's on Apple TV and everywhere else. It just uh, the one on Wednesday is a special. So it won't be on YouTube, but it will be on live on the app. So we have neat things. We have Monday live stream everywhere, Tuesday live stream everywhere. Wednesday, I'll still have a midweek update, but at two o'clock, I'm going to have the live on the app. A couple of other things to let you know. We're going to have a New Year's Eve prophecy update. I've been doing them annually for years, I believe a couple of decades now. And that's going to be at 412 Church in Southern California in San Jacinto. And again, it'll be New Year's Eve. I'll give you more info as we get closer to that. If you're in the area, I hope that you can stop by. I'd like to meet you. A couple of things I'm going to ask you to pray about. We have a confirmed prophecy conference in Mexico, Rosarito Beach in Mexico. That's going to be July 1st. Billy Crone is going to be with me and Brandon Holthouse. I'm also praying about a couple of other uh, places, uh, Las Vegas, Texas, and uh, here in Southern California, uh, during 2023, along with the places that, it, that uh, I'm going to be going. Um, so we have a lot of exciting things. I'm actually going to be with Billy and Brandon and uh, Olivier Melnick in Europe, doing European tour uh, in the fall of 2023. Listen, if the Lord, if we're not called home, we're going to keep pressing forward. Amen? Uh, we're not going to sit idly by, just let, let everything uh, go to pot or whatever it is. Uh, we're going to press forward preaching the truth that people need to hear. So we have a lot happening. I'm excited about it. Thank you guys for joining me, and let's get going. Again, it's promising to be 
quite a, a, a good evening with, with you all. And then I'll take your questions when we're done, both from YouTube and also from uh, the app. But Damon Duck's article, Give Us a Leader, wrote this. Since the midterm elections, TV and social media pundits are saying Biden, Pelosi, Trump, and McConnell are too old. We need fresh blood, someone with new ideas to solve our problems. It's time for someone else to lead, someone that can appeal to young voters, a uniter, not a divider. The interesting thing about this is that Bible prophecy teachers have long said there will be an outcry for a man with a plan at the end of the age, and we can be sure that he, a.k.a. Antichrist, is coming. It's even likely that he is alive and ready to answer the call. No kidding. I'm going to show you a couple of short video clips in just a minute. And what they're going to be is very clear evidence that what the world is looking for is a political savior. On the left and on the right, give us a political savior. Deception's going to get great. The growing calls for a political savior are only going to increase. Uh, uh, certainly as we see more and more, uh, uh, more, and more protests, civil unrest, uh, more and more economic problems, more and more threats of war, uh, more and more threats of famine, more and more threats of pestilences and lockdowns that these people are telling us they're going to do. People are crying out for a leader. I believe it's Satan's plan. Get both sides riled up so they'll look for a political leader. They don't want a savior. They don't want Jesus. They want a political leader. He continues, it's no coincidence that both parties are calling for a new leader at the same time. The New York Federal Reserve and others, uh, several other banks are conducting a 12-week pilot program, uh, which started on November 15th, to study the use of central bank digital currency. So I've talked a little bit about this, and it's coming. He continues, just to let you know, LifeSite News posted an article that says some banks involved in the 12-week pilot program are global banks. The government says... CBDCs will speed up transactions and improve global financial system. Uh, hence, I believe this is why, I believe there's an intentional takedown of the economies of the world to get people to cry out for a system that will save them. Again, the system is going to be the CBDCs. If the government starts using CBDCs, they can monitor everything people buy and sell in every nation that uses them. If the government wants to impose negative interest rates on citizens, the government can change, uh, charge the interest rates on money citizens have in the bank. If the government wants to deduct taxes from the citizens' bank accounts, they can do that. In other nations, if other nations want to use the CBDC, it can be multinational currency. It can even be transformed into a one-world currency. Indeed, it can. So if you're someone who travels globally, you get this. Because when you travel globally... You've got to use your credit card. You've got to use uh, whatever you can. Or you have to change your money, whatever your currency is, into the currency uh, of the place that you are traveling. You enter in CBDCs on a global scale. Guess what? You're not going to have to do that anymore. Everybody's got the same thing. The U.S. government has not said when a CBDC might be implemented, but the 12-week pilot program is taking place now. It could be implemented when the U.S. government wants to implement it. He continues, my opinion, the mark of the beast will be implemented in the middle of the tribulation period. Christians will see it beginning to come to pass, but the pre-trib rapture will remove Christians before it's implemented. I believe that. Not necessarily before CBDCs are implemented, but before the mark of the beast is, uh, we won't see that. But we can certainly see it beginning, and I believe, we're, man, we're hearing everything about it. He also says, uh, talks about the Ten Commandments. 
We said another opinion at the same time that all of this is beginning to come to pass. Globalists want to replace the Ten Commandments in the Bible with these Ten Climate Change Commandments. I believe that was done by a fringe group at this uh, COP27 meeting. I'm going to be, uh, I'll have Alex Newman on the program here in the not too distant future. He was at the COP27 meeting. We'll ask him about that. But we see it's a religion, this climate, this, this climate stuff is. Another opinion he writes, these prophecies were given almost 2,000 years ago, and anyone that thinks it is just a coincidence or a conspiracy theory that all of these things are happening at the same time needs to think again. Uh, they may need to make their salvation sure. I would say it's spot on uh, by Damon Duck when I look at all of these things. So many more things. It's not a coincidence that everything is happening to, happening to take place converging right now. Okay, now check this out. Uh, this is uh, from an article from uh, Leo Homan. Smart cities worldwide being converted into open concentration camps, says ex-Silicon Valley engineer turned whistleblower. Uh, he goes on to describe, um, as he, he talks with uh, Amon Jabi, and then he, uh, Leo Homan writes this article, uh, he says, what we are watching take place right now is it's the beginning, it's the formation of this beast system. Let me tell you, it is. Uh, in Daniel chapter 7, this beast system that's coming, Daniel describes it as a beast that has these huge iron teeth. It just crushes everything. Revelation chapter 6, the rider on the white horse. What's it do? This beast system goes about conquering and to conquer. It's going to be massive. It's going to be controlling. It's going to be uh, oppressing. And it's being developed right before our eyes. Listen, tomorrow at 2 o'clock, I told you I'd tell you who my guest is. It's going to be John Prescott from Australia, and we're going to be talking about the smart cities. He brought them to our attention on a live cast I did with John a while back. John, if you're watching, good morning to you over there in Australia, and I'm pretty sure you're watching. Um, looking forward to tomorrow with you. But John had brought up smart cities and cities that were compliant with the government, all these different lockdowns and regulations, and there's certain things. So we're going to get into what is really going on. What are these smart cities this whole beast system, uh, you're not going to want to miss it. That's tomorrow. It's going to be live. Okay, check this out. No bank account is safe in 2023, traditional or otherwise. It's just reading what uh, Damon Duck was saying about the CBDCs, but don't stop there. Here's another one. Post-FTX regulatory crackdown will erode liber uh, liberties, accelerate path to CBDC social engineering. Folks, it is coming. So we are watching the beginning of it. FTX uh, is just a part of it. I believe it's part of that whole system developing. And then check this out. Here's good old Klaus Schwab. The mask is off. WEF's Klaus Schwab declares China a role model. I'm thinking many of you have already heard about this. You're thinking, what in the world is really going on? Okay, I'm going to show you two short videos. The first one's about a minute long. Second one's about, uh, is 38 seconds long. You're going to need to turn up your volume a little bit, um, whether you're on YouTube or on the app. Um, but check out these two videos. We're going to roll them. And it's going to show you what's going on in China. Here's what, here's what they're going to show you. The protests that are happening, the civil unrest that's happening. Civil unrest in Brazil. We are wa watching this develop everywhere while they're telling us CBDCs are coming. While they're telling us more lockdowns are coming. While Klaus Schwab says, hey, China is the role model, folks, this is, gives us a real good idea 
of the direction of things. So again, you're probably going to have to turn up your volume. We have a little bit of a trouble with that when we are getting ready to set this up for right now. But let's roll the first video, the one with China. Yeah, so you check out that one. That was from China. I'm going to show you the one from Brazil in just a second. And here they are. The people are saying they want democracy here in the Western world, in America, Europe, Australia. We have the leaders insisting upon socialism. Uh, bad stuff is coming. By the way, Leo Homan writes, if you eliminate in that other article about small, smart cities, and we'll get into it tomorrow with John, but you can get rid of socialism, communism, and the rest. The problem is the beast system is here, and it's affecting everything. But I, I'm watching the, that riot, the riots in China reminded me of these words from, um, for, from H.G. Uh, Wells, the globalist. He was an anti-God, anti-Christ kind of person. His, his understanding, his vision for the future is what these globalists are using now, the Klaus Schwab's of the world, these leaders in America, Australia, Europe, Canada, and so forth, Brazil. Um, these leaders, uh, they seem to follow the, the, the uh, visions of H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells, in his book, The New World Order, wrote, countless people will hate the New World Order and they will die protesting it. Folks, we are watching this increase. Think of this, Jesus said, a nation will rise against nation in all of the discourse. That word nation comes from the Greek word ethnos and it gives us our English word ethnic. It means people group. What we're watching, just like Jesus said, people group will rise against people group. Folks, it's happening. All right, I'm gonna show you the next video. This one is out of Brazil, as people there are protesting what's going on, what their government's doing. The president's office may have conceded defeat, but many of Jair Bolsonaro's millions of supporters have not. They took to the streets of Sao Paulo in their thousands. The national flag waved above the crowds as they gathered outside the headquarters of the military's southeastern command. They're calling for an intervention. Put simply, they want a military coup. They despise the leftist policies of Lula da Silva, and they want him out by any means. So over there in Brazil, they're saying, hey, you guys, we want Bolsonaro. You guys have crammed down this leftist down our throat. What's going on with the elections here in Brazil? We're certainly asking that uh, pretty much everywhere in the world right now. There's protests happening. People are rising up. They're ticked off. Iran is having protests to the point where Khomeini says, hey, let's bring in the military and get rid of all these people who are protesting. In uh, Brazil, they're saying, bring in the military and, and take, and this is unbelievable. We don't want these radical leftists who bring in these insane policies <clears throat> to take control of everything, control our life, because they're oppressive, and uh, we can see the direction that these things are going to go. <clears throat> then we enter into smart cities, and we start to realize, okay, there's this technocratic rule that's here. It's already started. And then we have the Klaus Schwab says, China is a role model. We say, wow, wow, wow. So back to the title of the message. Um, is God ever going to deal with this? Well, Jonah, let's switch over to Jonah for a few minutes. When we're done with Jonah, I'm going to get to your questions. Um, but is God ever going to deal with this? We see this stuff. Uh, but yet at the same time, things are going the way that the Bible said they were going to 
go. So as we look at the book of Jonah, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, we're going to finish the book. It's two very short chapters. But Jonah, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He knew that God was full of mercy. He wanted the people of Nineveh to be judged. He wanted the king to be judged. Just wipe them all out. What happens? Uh, he tries to escape from the Lord and escape from God's plan for his life. And uh, he catches a ship going to Tarshish. Uh, there's a storm that comes. Uh, the people on the ship say, hey, Jonah, is this your fault? Jonah says, yeah, it is my fault. I'm, I'm a Jew and the God of everything, the God who's created all things, he's, he's the one who brought the storm and it's because of my disobedience. How do we get rid of the storm? Well, you got to throw me overboard. So they threw him overboard and Jonah was swallowed by a great fish that was prepared for him. Bible doesn't say a whale, but a fish that was actually prepared just for that incident. And then, that's where we left off last time, chapter 2, verse 10 of the book of Jonah. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and the fish vomited Jonah onto, the, onto dry land. That's a great picture. Just vomited Jonah onto, onto dry land. What happens? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I love that. Jonah, I told you to go to Nineveh the first time. You said it out. Now you've been in the belly of the fish. The fish just barfed you up. The word's coming a second time, Jonah. Jonah, you better go deliver the message to the people of Nineveh that I tell you. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. In other words, a three-day journey meaning from one end of, of Nineveh to the other. It's going to take Jonah three days to get through that city, walking down the different streets, preaching to the people, and so forth. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk, and then he cried out and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. So just a few things to go through here as we look at Jonah and connect the dots. Why does it matter to me today? First thing is, it's Jonah's acceptance of God's plan. Jonah's gotten to the place after being in the belly of the fish. He finally accepted the plan that God had for him. Interesting. Someone said, when we refuse to listen to God, we just invite him to speak louder. That's what Jonah did. Jonah wouldn't listen to God. So God said, I'm going to get your attention. God spoke louder to him in the belly of the fish, and God gives Jonah a second chance. In verse 1, it says, the second time the word came to Jonah. Listen, it's a good idea if God's telling you to do something and you know it's the Lord, just do it. Because you don't want him to speak louder to you to really get your attention when you are ignoring him. But notice what we have here. We have a long walk and a short message with Jonah. Uh, often Bible teachers and pastors will give, give us the impression that Jonah was vomited onto dry land on a beach in Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Nineveh uh, was right there. But if you look at a map and you, you understand the geography, well, Nineveh would have been about 375 miles from the shore of the Mediterranean, wherever, what, wherever uh, uh, Jonah was barfed up. So Jonah had a very long walk. I mean, imagine he's, he's in the, this fish, he gets swallowed, then he gets barfed up, and now he's got this really, really long, miserable walk. And in the walk, he has a lot of time to think about 
Uh, what am I going to say? 375 miserable miles. And I'm thinking, he, 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 so he, he's not happy. He's not happy about what's going on. Um, he had a long walk, and he had a short message. Chapter 4, first part of it, Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk, and then he cried out and said, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Uh, by the way, where it says the first day's walk, in other words, the first day he entered the city. So he had a 375-mile walk to get to Nineveh. Then he gets there. The first day, what's he do? He has a very short message. You guys better get right with the Lord. 40 days you have, or you're all going to get cooked. You're all going to burn. 40 days, and you're toast. Apparently, the 375-mile walk and being swallowed in the, by a fish and then vomited up on the beach didn't give Jonah any kind of compassion for the people of, of Nineveh. Apparently, it just made him maybe a little bit more angry. He comes out, you're all, I mean, it's just doom and gloom. This is truly a doom and gloom message. 40 days and you're toast. Uh, Jonah must have been a little bit upset, I guess, about the whole, f the, the, the whole fish thing. He certainly didn't try to dilute the message, but what happened is, check this out. God blessed. Sometimes, you know, I, I think um, we need to be really careful. You know, there, there's times when we, we, we try to figure out, listen, let me say it this way. Pastors are especially susceptible to this, at least in the day that we live in right now. There's a lot of pastors out there, seems the majority of them by far, don't want to talk about repentance, don't want to talk about judgment, and they think that by just being nice and doing a big group hug and telling everybody, hey, God loves you just the way you are and that kind of stuff, um, and not confronting sin, that everybody's going to love them, oh, they'll probably love the person, but they need to know the Lord. They need to know that there's sin. Listen, God is full of mercy and compassion, and he's also a God who judges. And uh, we need to remember that people need to know the truth. You know, I, I love my kids. When they were younger, if they wanted to go play in the middle of a busy street, I would tell them, man, don't, don't do that. That's a really dumb idea. You get, you get killed playing out there in the middle of the street, but I want to play in the street. Well, well, that's a foolish thing to do. So I love my kids too much. So I warned them, you're not, I wouldn't even let them play in a street like that. It's not going to happen, right? So if, it, out of love, I warn them about the dangers. Out of love, we can rightly warn someone of the dangers. Jonah doesn't seem to have any love here, but in the process, God still used what he said, and God blessed. As a result, the greatest spiritual awakening in the Bible took place greater than any Awakening in the Old Testament greater than any awakening in the entire New Testament, including the book of Acts. Uh, the king repents. The people, believed to be over a population of one million people, uh, repented. And it appears to have happened all in a day. Listen, this is a reminder. Preach the truth and get out of God's way. Listen, there needs to be compassion. There needs to be mercy. You can't just go up to people and start yelling at them. And think it's going to work. In this case, in this case, it did work with Jonah. Um, but allow God to open up that door because of maybe your kindness or something like that. But you got to get the truth to him. Uh, you, you, you can't just, you know, 
give people all the warm, fuzzy stuff and think they're going to come to faith in Christ. And No, the, we need to get them the truth. But we preach the truth and get out of God's way. Let God deal with, take it from there. We have a world that needs uh, people, to, people of God to deliver the truth, not a watered-down fake gospel, but the truth. Uh, judgment is coming, um, and our only hope is to repent. Jonah did, and God blessed. Listen, we have right now so many things that are happening. You know, I read some of those articles up front. I have more things I'm going to show you in just a few more minutes. But so many things are happening. For somebody who says they know the Bible, and yet they deny that Jesus is coming or these signs should be paid attention to or anything like that, is really a remarkable thing. It's a willing rejection of what the Bible actually discloses. But that uh, is what Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their lusts. In other words, they want to sin. You think of all these bizarre things that people are doing now in the media and churches inviting drag queen story hour. All this stuff's going on, right? And then in the midst of it, Peter writes, uh, in the last days, Scoffers will come, walking according to their own lusts, saying, where's the promise of his coming? Our fathers used to, in other words, our fathers used to tell us Jesus is coming in. Uh, he's not coming again. Don't tell us this. And then he says, of this they are willfully ignorant. In other words, it's a willful decision to reject the prophecies of the second coming of Christ. He goes on to talk about, Peter does, about the time of Noah and the flood and the judgment that come back then and people rejecting the truth that judgment is coming now. And these, these are people, Peter's writing primarily thinking of people that are churched. Our dad used to tell us that. The pastor used to say that at the church I used to go to. I don't believe that anymore. That's what Peter's writing in 2 Peter chapter 3. Our fathers used to say this, but these people are walking according to their own lusts, and they are willfully ignorant. In other words, they choose to not know. They choose to reject the truth regarding Bible prophecy. In this case, Bible prophecy, here's the problem that I think people have with it. It warns of judgment that's coming, like Jonah. It warns of judgment that's coming. And so I don't want to hear about the judgment. I don't want, pastors don't want to talk about the judgment. They just want everybody to be happy. I don't want them all to be happy. I want them uh, to come to know Christ that they wouldn't go to hell. I mean, that's what I'm supposed to do. You know, it's not about a person's, in the words of one guy who's a preacher in Texas somewhere, um, every day is a Friday, or this is your best life now. <laughs> you know what? Uh, if you're going to hell, this is your best life now. But your best life, really, if your life is right with Christ, man, it's going to be awesome. I can have a great life now and an even better life when I get to heaven. Paul said to live is Christ, but to die is gain. It's, it's even better. I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. But of these things, the preachers of the last days are willfully ignorant. They choose to ignore the truth regarding the second coming of Christ. Like Jesus, when he, he challenged the religious leaders when he came the first time, Matthew chapter 16. He says, you can see the sky is red and threatening. Um, and you know, you know what the weather's going to be like. Hypocrites, you have the scriptures. You should know the day of your visitation. I'm here. You know what the scriptures say, but you choose to ignore them. You're willfully ignorant. 
Why? Because the Messiah's first coming, Jesus, when he first came, it would upset their religion. It would upset their way of life. It would upset the way that they do things. They have religion. They have the religion the way they want it. Same thing is happening right now in the Christian world within churches. The thought of the second coming of Christ is upsetting way too many pastors. It upsets their way of life. It upsets their bank accounts. It upsets these things. Uh, so they don't want to hear it, and they certainly don't want to tell anybody else about it. Well, let's keep reading, or I'm not going to get through this. Um, verse 5, so the people of Nineveh, they believed God. So Jonah says, repent. They believed God, proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them, pretty much all of them. This is a great working of movement of the Holy Spirit. And then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. This is incredible. Uh, so number one is Jonah's acceptance of God's plan. Number two, it's Nineveh's awakening because of God's message. The people of Nineveh believed from the greatest to the least, even the king, and this is genuine salvation. Listen, is this real? Did it really happen? I see videos all the time from these people that claim to know the truth about the Bible. One I saw yesterday, I was so angry, I was going to take my, my cup of water and throw it at the TV, but I don't want to break my TV. But I'm watching it. It was on YouTube. And I'm watching it, and this guy is saying that um, the whole... The whole Jews, you know, the Jews and the land of Israel is all fabricated. It's not real. Nobody really knows where the Jews came from or these Israelites. I'm watching this, and, and I think he's a professor at some university. I'm going, this is unbelievable. And he's just bringing up this, this nonsense, and I couldn't help. I mean, the thousands upon thousands of views from people watching this, I'm thinking, how many people actually believe that type of nonsense? that the Jews don't really exist, that the, the Jews of today weren't the Israelites of old, and nobody really knew who the Israelites of, uh, of old world were, and there's just a made-up religion and all this stuff. But people do that, and they do that with the book of Jonah, but Jesus confirmed that Jonah is real. In Matthew chapter 12, the Bible says, this is Jesus, his own words, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment of, with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. By the way, people say, well, the people, it doesn't say that the people have repented in Nineveh. Well, Jesus said that the people repented. Let's look at a couple of things, right? Let's bring this to today. Will the people today repent uh, Jesus said, again, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Um, will the people of Nineveh rise up and condemn the generation that we live in now? Look at this. Check, this. Check out what's going on right now. Look at this article. I was stunned and upset. Retired chaplain, 77 years old, was banned from wearing a half-inch Christian cross while volunteering at a hospice. I believe... Uh, this was over in the UK. Can't even have a cross, a half-inch cross. You know, when you go to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, you understand that. Uh, you don't like it, but you can't have a Bible. You can't have a cross. You can't have a kippah if you're a Jew. You can have no Jewish or no Christian things uh, because of the Muslim stuff going on on the Temple Mount. This is as a, as a chaplain at a hospital 
put away the cross. Folks, this is the way the Western world has gone. China, we see them protesting, say, we want democracy. Here in the Western world, America, Europe, Australia, hey, we need to shut down the voice of Christianity. In Iran, they are protesting against the government, and they also want Christ over there. Here we're saying, get Christ out of everything. All right, check out this next article, right? This is unbelievable. I know some of you saw this. It's heresy. Worshippers left in tears as Cambridge Dean claims Jesus was transgender after Roe over Christ's wound having, look at this, a vaginal appearance. Unbelievable. Folks, this is just unbelievable. The stuff that is out there, it is wicked. Will Nineveh rise up in judgment against this generation? Wow, look at this. Look at this next one. Here's the reality of what's really going on, but you don't, uh, but, but uh, it's a strange thing. Um, the homosexual LGBTQ doesn't get this. They, they've uh, been pressing the people at the World Games to wear their LGBTQ stuff. Well, what's happening over there? The Taliban, look at this, is flogging people in football stadiums for adultery and gay sex. That's the reality of it. The public punishment, you can see it here, have come a week after the Islamist group announced it will be implementing Sharia law in full force across Afghanistan. That's reality in Afghanistan. And then you look at the World Cup games, and you look at these different things that are going on. Man, people are messed up. Don't you realize that Christ is our only hope? And yet they want to shut Christ out of everything. Or just make him this wicked, evil person. Make Jesus into your own image. Look at this one. This is the last one, then I'm going to move on from here. I want to get to the end of Jonah and get to your questions, but look at this. Sonny Hostin with, uh, of The View, right? That, that wonderful program. Uh, says Jesus would be the grand marshal of a pride parade. Unbelievable, folks. This is the stuff that is coming out. Unbelievable. Pure wickedness. Man. Well, let's read because I want to continue to get through this. I want to get to the end, get to your questions. So the king, verse 7, back in Jonah, will this generation repent? They did in Nineveh. But here in Jonah's, uh, book of Jonah, chapter uh, 3, verse 7, and the king caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, look at this. This is a proclaimed fast. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Verse 10, and God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Wow, that is just, uh, uh, that's amazing. What happens? Very fascinating to me. A couple of things to note is God relented from his anger. He turns from it. So he's going to bring judgment, then he doesn't. By the way, relent is related to the word repent. What does repent mean? Uh, simply means this. Repent means to change direction uh, or to change your action. So relent 
has the same understanding. Well, we're so, you know, now when you think, well, wait a minute, you mean God changes? No, God doesn't change, but we're so used to using repenting in a negative sense. But repent is always positive. It really is. Because when you, a person repents from their sin, that's very positive. The, the person who's told they need to repent, if they don't want to repent, they think it's very negative. But to repent from your sin and turn to the Lord is as positive as you can get. You can be saved. In this case, God relents. He changes the direction he was going to go, and he doesn't bring judgment upon him. Well, Tom, I thought that God never changes. So suddenly, excuse me, suddenly you're saying God uh, changes? Now, you got to think of it in the right context of God's character. He granted mercy instead of judgment. God's character never changes. He's always right and just and demands judgment for sin, but he's also full of mercy and compassion and grace. Since God's character never changes, how can God deal with man's sin? Ultimately, forgiveness is in God's Son, right? So God has to deal with sin um, because he's just. So he's going to deal with it. But at the same time, God's character is also mercy. So judgment was placed upon the Son, and mercy comes in that those who trust in the forgiveness of his Son experience mercy. Jesus was judged because sin must be judged, uh, but God is also full of mercy. That's his other characteristic, and we also have mercy in his Son. Hence, those who reject the forgiveness in Christ will not experience forgiveness. They won't experience mercy. Think of it like this when it comes to Jonah, and also when it comes to our own forgiveness. God's love is unconditional, but if we repent, his judgment is conditional. How's that? In other words, if we repent, he will turn from his judgment and grant us forgiveness. So that's what happened here in the book of Jonah. God relented from his anger, and what happened? The people in turn, they also repented from their sin. Well, they repented from their sin, and God relented from his anger. This is so complete and so genuine is the people's repentance that they even covered the animals with sackcloth. By the way, think of this verse. This is from Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10. A righteous man regards the life of his animal. Um, I, I like that because... Uh, a person who is genuinely saved, it'll actually be seen in how they treat animals. Isn't that wild when you start to think about it? Uh, uh, again, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10, write it down or take a screenshot of it. A righteous man regards the life of his animal. All right, so number one, let's get to the last thing. Number one is Jonah's acceptance of God's plan. Number two is Nineveh's awakening um, because of God's message. Number three, God's amazing display of his genuine mercy. So God pours out mercy upon the people of Nineveh, and Jonah is ticked. How could you forgive them? I knew you were going to forgive them. Look at this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. <laughs> he was so angry because of God's forgiveness to the people of Nineveh. I wanted you to just smoke them, Lord. I knew you were going to do this. 
So he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country, when I was still in Israel? I told you I didn't want to go to Nineveh because you're full of mercy and compassion. This is wild. Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Isn't that what Peter says? Uh, Peter says that God desires that none should perish. I think if we understood a little bit better uh, the reality of judgment in hell and separation from God, and that it's eternal, I think we'd probably have a lot more compassion on people and realizing God's desires that none should perish. Jonah didn't get it. Hey, listen, I know, listen, I'm sure you've heard me say it many times online. God, why don't you just get us out of here and judge this world? Um, That's where Jonah is. And uh, God's slow to anger, full of mercy, abundant and loving kindness. Jonah goes on and says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than live. (laughs) Just kill me. Just kill me. You save the people in Nineveh. Just kill me, Lord. I mean, what a conversation. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Really, Jonah? Wow. So Jonah went out of the city, and he sat on the east side of the city, and there he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. So Jonah is still hoping. He makes a shelter. He's sitting up on a hill. I'm going to sit up here. I'm going to see maybe God's just going to smoke him anyways. He's still so angry. I'm hoping this repentance thing isn't true. I'm hoping that God isn't that merciful. He's waiting to see them get judged. I find this interesting. In Israel, you have the city of Joppa or Yafo. Uh, it's the same city where Jonah catches the, the boat going to Tarshish, right? It's out of there because Jonah didn't want to go to the Gentile world. He didn't want to take the message to those wicked people of Nineveh. And they were wicked. They were totally wicked. I get it. I get it. Uh, it's also in Joppa or Yafo where Peter is told, Peter, you got to take the message to the Gentiles. Peter didn't want to do it. I don't want to take a picture, the message of the gospel of hope to a bunch of goy. I don't want to do it. God said, well, I want them to be saved too. So interesting, both cases, you have these two Jewish people who are very Jewish, didn't want the goy to hear, and God says, I want them to know what mercy is. But here with Jonah, he sits up on a hill, I imagine just crossing his arms. God's going to smoke him. He's got to smoke him. He can't be that merciful, but God is. So he's sitting up there, he's made himself a shelter, but apparently he didn't, waiting to see what would become the city, apparently it wasn't enough of a shelter. So verse 6 says, the Lord prepared, this chapter 4, verse 6 of Jonah, the Lord God prepared a plant and it, it made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. So Jonah, ah, man, I got the shade I made, which wasn't that great. But now I have this awesome plant. It's hot out here in the desert. Uh, This plant has given me shade. Oh, yes, thank you, Lord. And it happened. As morning dawned the next day. So Jonah gets it for a day. He's got all the shade. He's all happy for a day. God prepared a worm. And it so damaged the plant that the plant withered. Wow. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement Oh, east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. 
And then he wished death for himself again and said, it is better for me to die than to live. So Jonah, you know, earlier it's like, if you're going to save these people and not judge them, I'd just kill me. Better for me to die than to see them not know that you have mercy on them. And now he's upset about the plant. You've, you gave me a plant, you took it away. Now it's hot. You might as well just kill me, Lord. It's just better for me to die. I mean, Jonah is so angry. Wow. And then God said to Jonah, verse 9, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. I mean, the conversation, man, he's just, he's so wrapped up in his anger and his emotion. And he's got so far away from understanding the mercy of God. Listen, he's still a follower of God. He's still a man who lived by faith, but he didn't like the fact that God was going to save these people. And now he's mad about the plant, so much so, it's okay for me to be angry even to the point of death. Three times he asked for death in this chapter. But the Lord said, you've had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Jonah, you had pity for a plant, a plant, which I planted there, and I took it away. You didn't even know about the plant, Jonah, until I grew it. Yeah, pity for this plant. Verse 11, God says, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left? In other words, 120,000 children, babies in Nineveh. So it's a big city. 120,000 little ones who don't know their right hand from their left. They don't know if they're left-handed. They don't know if they're right-handed. They don't know. 120,000 of them. You don't even care about the kids. You don't care about the children. And then God says, he ends with this most interesting ending in all of the Bible. Let me read it again. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who can't discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? And the book of Jonah ends. God even cared about the animals. The, you got the little children, you don't care about them. What about the livestock? Every, Jonah, do you not understand what my judgment's going to look like? Jonah, it is going to be absolutely devastating. Um, look, I look at this, and for me, it's, it's a message of conviction, because sometimes I can honestly say, this is what I say, Lord, come quickly and smite everything. Just judge them. I can't stand the stuff I see. I, I mean, I hear of of just bizarre things that are happening out there. I see what comes across the media out of Hollywood. I see what comes across the news feeds and, and uh, the, how righteousness, people call right, wrong, and wrong, uh, right. Uh, you see wickedness just abounding, filthiness. Uh, the love of many has grown cold. Lawlessness is abound. And I say, Lord, come quickly. And you know what? I'm probably going to say it tonight. Lord, come quickly. John said, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'll say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, for me, I need to remember that God is full of mercy and compassion. As he writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, his desires that none should perish. You know, it need to be about my father's business. And I would ask you guys about being about your father's business. What are your thoughts on, on that? Um, and it's understanding, God, help me to have the heart that you have. While I preach the truth, because we got to preach the truth, 
We got to let people know. You got to repent. Judgment is coming. I can look at this and realize all the different signs, but at the same time, um, I need to understand that judgment is real. It's going to be ugly. Um, of this, I'm going to take your questions. Go ahead and get ready to send them in. Make sure you put the word question in all caps. While you're preparing your questions, I just think of this. I think of all the different things that we are seeing happening uh, in the news right now. Everything is converging at the same time. I opened up just talking about the CBDCs, uh, the smart cities, uh, right on down the list of these various things um, that, that are out there but I've got to have some compassion. But let's put all of this together because I want to answer as many questions as I can. Okay, Linda says, were the Ninevites Gentiles? Yes, they were uh, Gentiles. Uh, listen, this real simple definition of Gentile. Anybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile. In fact, when you read the book of Genesis, you find out that the nations are called Gentiles. In fact, that's another word for uh, nations is Gentiles. So God is the one who created the Jewish race. So when I see this video the other day of this professor on YouTube saying the Jews, you know, they're, they're, they're fake people. Uh, they made up, there's this group of people that made up this religion called Judaism and so forth. They have no right to the land of Israel. The whole thing was just complete nonsense. Um, but it's God who made the Jews. What he did, he called Abraham, Abram, out of the land of the Chaldeans of Ur, he brings them down. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you this land. And God made a covenant with Abram. He started a race of people. He institutes circumcision in the whole bit. He started the Jewish race. So the whole world was Gentile prior to God choosing man, this man Abram and starting the race of the Jews. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. By the way, this takes me to another question. I see some more coming up here, so I'm going to get to them. If you could slow that down a little bit. I saw you guys passed up some questions for me. Um, okay, thanks. That's good. Hold, hold it there. Um, so when you see um, you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you have the beginning of the Jewish race, uh, where does the name Jew comes from? Well, Jacob has 12 sons. One of the sons is named Judah, and uh, when you look at the land of Israel, you have the area of Judea and Samaria. I don't want to call it the West Bank anymore. That's what the UN calls it and all the people who hate Israel. But it's Judea and Samaria, the land of Judea, uh, Judah, um, is uh, it, it, the term Jew comes from that, from the tribe of Judah. It's a short version of that. Um, let's see. Dove says, question. You said in a previous update, a number of people die in the fourth seal does that number include the amount that died in the first three seals? That's a great question, Dove. I think that it's a combination of the first, well, mainly the, the second and third seal. Because the first seal of the white horse, um, what Dove is referring to is Revelation chapter 6 with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first seal, the white horse, goes about conquering and to conquer, but it doesn't look like it, it's a conquering through weapons. In fact, we know it's not through weapons, it's, a, it's some kind of subduing of the people, an oppression of the people. Think lockdowns, mandates, that kind of thing. Uh, could be a false peace, all of that involved, uh, because peace is taken from the earth when you get to the second seal. So we know with the first one, it's, it's not about death and destruction, but when you get to the second seal and the third seal, you have the rider on the red horse, 
massive war. You have the rider on the black horse, which is economic catastrophe and famine. Uh, so we know that happens. Then you get to the third, uh, the fourth horse, the pale horse, uh, uh, death to a quarter of the population. Uh, through death, uh, through war, through famine, through disease, pestilence, and so forth, and killing by the beasts of the earth. And beasts of the earth with the fourth horse, the pale horse, could be massive beasts like lions and tigers or bears. It also refers to beasts, I believe the Greek word is theron, and it could apply to a microscopic beast. So think of, think of pestilences. So I believe when it comes to the fourth horse, the pale horse, it's a combination of all of those things. The previous, uh, the second horse, the third horse, and uh, the fourth horse. Okay. Um, question. Let's see, Jeremy, are we supposed to accept the CBDC knowing it's uh, the rails for the beast system? Um, I would, I, I would uh, say that, uh, here's what I believe, that CBDCs are going to come about quite possibly before uh, the tribulation begins, before the rapture, um, certainly before the mark of the beast. The system needs to be in place. I mean, could you accept the Social Security card? Could you accept an identification uh, card? Could you, I mean, are there so many different things could you accept? Could you accept a smartphone knowing that you're tracked? Could you accept, you know, just, I mean, you start going down this path. Um, I travel uh, globally, um, whether it be Israel or other places I have to travel, Mexico, whatever it may be, and so I have to go through this global tracking stuff. Um, but I realize I'm not part of that system. I'm not part of the, I mean, I'm not part of the system. I, I'm not going to be part of the system of the beast. I'm not going to worship the beast. But in the meantime, all of these advancements are being made. And if we're not raptured uh, before the CBDCs come in, you're going to have a really hard time functioning not being a part of it. Um, you will have to be a prepper, but the problem is you're going to get to a position where you're not going to really be able to function because it's going to affect your entire bank account. When this switches over to digital, I believe in the beginning it's going to seem very friendly. People are going to say, wow, this, this digital currency is great. I had $10 million in the bank. I still have $10 million worth of cryptocurrency or whatever it is. Um, or I had $50 in the bank, I still got $50, you know, whatever it is. But it's going to come to a point where it's going to be used for a social credit system like is in China. I mean, Klaus Schwab is saying China's a great example. China's an example of crushing the people, of just causing them to be conformed, arresting them, being locked down, and that kind of thing. Um, so, but the CBDCs, you know, it's likely going to be a part of our world, uh, in the Western world. Uh, if we're not raptured soon, we're going to, we're going to be in it. And uh, getting around it's going to be difficult. But it, in and of themselves, they are not a part of the mark of the beast. So personally, I wouldn't worry about it. I have a social credit, uh, uh, I have a social security card. Um, I have different things that people have said, this is a mark of the beast. Um, Listen, you go places now, uh, there's face scans that are taking place that you're a part of, even if you don't realize it. Sporting events, airports, some grocery stores. So this type of thing is already there. We're already part of a digital system, using a debit card, 
Or, or you might say, well, I only use cash. Well, where's the cash come from? You got to go, it's probably in a bank, then maybe you take all your cash out, but you got to, you know, you're still doing transactions. Um, we're, we're being tracked for what we do as much as, for what we don't do as much as we're being tracked for what we do. So people are always being, using cash. Listen, we're in a, we're in a database somewhere. I mean, how do you survive if you, if you aren't buying things? So, you know, there's, there's ways of, of tracking people, but as far as CBDCs, I'm not worried about it personally because it's not the mark of the beast. I'm not going to be uh, hit up with the mark of the beast. I believe I'm going to be raptured before the mark of the beast comes around. And uh, so I, I don't really worry about that. Um, I'm going to move forward and uh, not go, not get caught up in that part of uh, that beast system. But the beast system is already being developed. Uh, uh, let's see. Question, let's see. Was Jonah, Bible prophecy and eschatology asked, was Jonah the boy that Elijah raised from the dead? No. Uh, Jeremy Stroke, are we supposed to accept the CBDC? I already read that one. Katie, question, can you please the address, can you move it up a little bit? I'm missing part of that, that last question. Uh, the Lordship Salvation, I'll make it real quick. There's writings on it. You don't hear as much about it anymore. But basically, you aren't saved unless you are um, uh, living perfect. Some would say, well, that's a little bit extreme. It doesn't mean living perfect, but lordship salvation. Listen, I believe, I'll put what my view of lordship salvation is, but there's different definitions. Uh, Jesus is the Lord of my life. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. So in that sense, but I know when you look at Lordship Salvation and the different donations, there's some who are out there saying, well, it's perfection. Well, we're not perfect. Um, but you have different definitions on it. So depending on what the definition is that you're hearing, um, uh, I'd have to address it from there. Okay, let's see, I saw a question on here. Uh, here we go. And this is from the app says, should we cash in our savings and retirement before the blockchain goes into effect? Um, <clears throat> Spirit and truth right above that says cash won't mean anything. That is true. And I think, you know, this is <clears throat> what will happen. It, it, this is if we're not raptured before then. They're going to go to digital currency. Um, and then we'll probably be given a certain amount of time to, uh, to turn in our cash and get digital currencies. And then they'll have a cutoff day. Um, and, and if we aren't if we don't get our cash turned in by that cutoff day, then we're really gonna, we're not gonna get any, um, uh, we're not gonna get any digital currency for the cash. So there's gonna be incentive to turn in your cash and that sort of thing. No doubt there's gonna be a lot of people who hold out and, uh, and I get it, you know, I totally get it. I look and go, uh, what about prepping? What about cash? Personally, right now, this is me. I believe it would be good to hold on to cash right now. I think that way. Uh, cash is king. I don't think the digital currencies are coming about next week, but we are here watching this 12-week pilot program. So they're telegraphing what they're going to do. Just like the last three years of lockdowns and so forth, we experienced a lot. I believe what we experienced was a test run of things, um, able to tell where the holes are for a future world uh, global system. They're gonna bring about this global system. I know they're gonna bring that about because the Bible it describes what that system is going to look like. 
So we can see these things coming, but I'm very hesitant to set dates on anything. Um, but the digital currency is going to appear. I do not know when. In the meantime, listen, I look at the economy. We know that the economy is getting crashed. It's, it appears to be uh, getting collapsed intentionally. So I think right now you're, you're still good with cash. You're probably real good with gold and that sort of thing. Um, gold's hard to buy things from the grocery store with, so you got to think of that. But I, do, I don't think we're going to digital currency uh, next week. Okay, let's uh, move on to um, some more questions. You could move these things up and down since I don't have my phone. I'm trusting you. Question, please clarify Ezekiel chapter 39. This is from Pat, verse 21 through 29, regarding the restoration of Israel. Is that after Gog and Magog are referring to the millennium after the great tribulation? Uh, Pat, that is a great question because there's a couple of things here. It looks to me like chapter 38 and 39 are connected together. Uh, Russia comes down, or you have the Gog-Magog invasion, I should say, with Persia, Turkey. You have the nations coming from the south, descending upon Israel like a cloud, and God gives the victory in chapter 39. So chapter 38 is the assault. Chapter 39 is the victory. It looks like Israel's going to lose. God gives, gets the victory Israel recognizes who God is. So there's debate there. When does chapter 39 take place if chapter 38 and 39 are connected? I believe chapter 38 and 39 of Ezekiel are connected. We have the battle and the assault on Israel, chapter 38. We have the victory over the enemy in chapter 39. I believe it's real clear, but there's some problems because um, of when it takes place because in chapter 39, we can tell that since Israel is glorifying God, well, doesn't that happen at the end of the tribulation period? Uh, Andy Woods has chapter 38 in the beginning of the tribulation, very beginning where I place it. He has chapter 39 at the end. I, I have a hard time understanding that. He's not the only one out there uh, that teaches that. There's others that put chapter 39, they tie it in with Armageddon. I don't see this being Armageddon, uh, but we do know, this is what we do know is when it comes to uh, chapter 38, the battle, as it happens in the latter days, when Israel is gathered back into the land, we know that because the Bible says so, when Russia is a guard for the troops that are coming against Israel, we see that, right? Uh, we can see these things. Russia is a guard for the troops when you'll start looking at Syria. So we see these things developing uh, right now, but it also says that it's coming at a time when uh, uh, when Israel's dwelling securely. That word securely comes from a Hebrew word which can mean security, and it could apply to like the IDF. Israel's very secure that way. Believe me, they are very secure that way. No, there's, there's no country that surrounds Israel that says, yeah, I want to take on Israel. They don't want to do it. Iran threatens all the time, um, but they really don't want to do it. Hezbollah threatens all the time. Uh, if they do, it's just a real, what a disaster that's probably going to be for much of Lebanon. Although Israel doesn't want to have the, the casualties of civilians, Israel is probably, well, is uh, the greatest nation in the world when it comes to not taking out civilians. They will target the military leaders and the military targets. And the military leaders know that, so they don't want to bring Israel against them. They threaten, they launch these rockets and so forth. But the day is coming when this battle will come when Israel is dwelling securely. It could mean dwelling when they think they've got the IDF's protection and all, 
However, it also says in Ezekiel 38, another one of the verses where Israel, I think it says, is dwelling in peace. And the word that's used there is a Hebrew word that means tranquility. So Israel's not there yet. We're not at Ezekiel chapter 38 yet. Um, but we do know it's going to happen in the latter days, so we can, we can, we can put it in the last days because it tells us that when Israel's gathered back into the land. But quite frankly, I'll put it in the last days. I believe it takes place at the beginning of the tribulation. I look and think, well, it's quite possible with Ezekiel 39, Israel recognizes that God has done this. Maybe that's when the 144,000 Jews have their great awakening and God is starting to turn the attention of Israel back to him again. It could be the time of the fullness of the Gentiles has come and God's turning his attention to Israel again. But there's debate on exactly when that takes place. I'll throw another monkey wrench in there. It's in Ezekiel 39 and Revelation 19 that God calls these birds of the air, the birds of prey to come to the land of Israel and eat the flesh of these armies. Well, when does that happen? Revelation 19, that clearly happens at Armageddon at the very end. So Ezekiel 39 uses the same imagery. When does that take place? So fascinating, and it could happen twice with those birds. All right, uh, let's go on to uh, another uh, question. Um, uh, you have any more questions? You go back to YouTube for just a second. You can go over there. Uh, let, let, yeah, thanks. Okay, question, do you think the falling away, this is from Dat Prawn, do you think the falling away is the falling away of everything God has made in nature as in the Great Reset? No, I, I don't. Uh, the two debates that are out there about what is the falling away are real simple. It just comes down to this. Is it a falling away from the faith, a great apostasy, as some people say? Um, uh, so it's people turning away from the truth of God's word. We certainly see that with 1 Timothy chapter 4, where it appears that people within the church and pastors within the church are starting to teach doctrines of demons. We watch that happening right now. But also that passage that you're referring to, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when the falling away comes first, it could be a departure from the faith, but there's many people that say, no, 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 not so fast. That departure is a specific one-time event, happens like that uh, based on the Greek construction. Andy Woods holds this, Don Stewart does, uh, many others. It's actually speaking of the rapture of the church. So <clears throat> without 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you can still teach there is a great spiritual departure. You can do it 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the words of Jesus himself where he said, will I even find faith on the earth? So there's a great uh, turning from the truth. Uh, we know that uh, from what the Bible says elsewhere. So 2, Timothy, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 could be speaking of the rapture. Either way, both the rapture taught in the Bible and the falling away. But the falling away isn't about the, the great reset it is either the spiritual departure, which does happen of truth of this, or <coughs> the rapture of the church. Okay, got another question. Man, I got this thing going on here. My questions just disappeared. Here we go. Okay, now, 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 I, see, now I see him. Okay, are we supposed to, let's see, question, what would, stop here, Kevin says, what would you say to those who falsely teach that Jesus and Paul taught two different gospels? They're liars, you know? I don't know what else to, I, I don't know what else to say. 
Um, but they are uh, liars. Uh, Farrell Harrell asks this. <coughs> I got this thing. <coughs> Appreciate your prayers for it. I <coughs> hope it goes away. Where do you see China fitting in? Um, not where most of my colleagues see China fitting in. So I'll make this as brief as I can. I have a really long answer. It's a 45-minute message. Maybe someday I'll do it. But here's the problem. So most of my friends and colleagues, I hope we're still friends after I say these things, say that there's a 200 million man army that comes out of China. Uh, it's a 200 million man army based on Revelation chapter 16 that come up over the dried up Euphrates River. And uh, they, they, because it says the kings of the east in Revelation chapter 16, come up over the dried up Euphrates River. And this has gotten more attention lately because the Euphrates River is drying up based on dams, based on drought conditions, and so forth. So we do know in the last days, during the tribulation, the Euphrates River will dry up, Revelation 16. There will be armies of the kings, plural, of the east, who come over the dried up Euphrates River and go to the place the Bible tells us in Revelation 16 to Armageddon. The Bible is very clear. It says kings of the east, armies of the kings of the east. Um, so east has two different possibilities. Primarily, two different possibilities. East of Jerusalem. Remember when the, the wise men from the east, the Magi, <coughs> uh, came to worship Jesus, where were the east of Jerusalem, right? So east can mean east of Jerusalem. It can also mean east of the Euphrates River. I believe it's one of those two things. So in Revelation 16, it's armies of the kings of the east, who are the kings, plural, China could be one of the kings. It's quite possible one of the kings of the East. Here's the problem. It doesn't say there's an army of 200 million men coming from China or 200 million men coming from anywhere else over a dried up Euphrates River. The problem is this. It's Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9 talks about an army of 200 million, but not 200 million men. It appears to be 200 million demonic creatures that come underneath the Euphrates River. They seem to be locked up there for the Day of Judgment. As Jude writes, they come from underneath the Euphrates River. There's 200 million of these demonic creatures. In Revelation chapter 9, it's the trumpet judgments where a third of the world is damaged at that time of the 200 million demons coming up. Revelation chapter 16, the kings of these, that's at Armageddon. That's the sixth bowl judgment. That's at the end. There are two different events. The only thing that's the same is the Euphrates. And with the Euphrates, Revelation 16, the kings of these come over dried up Euphrates. Revelation 9, uh, these demons come up from underneath the Euphrates. They seem to be locked there, as I mentioned, locked up for judgment in the book of Jude. Um, so when I look at it, I think, yeah, China could be part of the kings of these. Not a 200 million man army. Listen, I've done complete logistics studies. It would be impossible. The United States has a population of about 350,000, uh, 350 million people or something like that. That'd be over half the population of the United States to get an army of 200 million. In, in a very short time, by the way, it's impossible. You'd have to have hospitals. Think of the sanitation problems you would have. It would be horrific. So... Anyways, I have more to say on that. Maybe sometime I'll, I'll do that in the future. Listen, tomorrow, 
John Prescott joined me live. He's going to be here coming in from Australia. He's going to be here with me. We're going to be talking about the smart cities and the system of the beast. And baby, it is here. So hopefully I'll be able to answer some of your questions better tomorrow with John on the CBDCs, what you should do, that type of thing. Because no doubt you and I are watching the system of the beast coming. Hey, John, I know, is watching this tonight. He may say, I'm wrong. The CBDCs are coming much faster than I may be alluding to, and we better be ready. And so I'm look, very much looking forward to John tomorrow. That's at uh, uh, 2 o'clock right here. Bless you guys. I'll be 2 o'clock live Tuesday. Uh, on Wednesday, I'll be 2 o'clock on the app. Looking forward to having a Q&A with you guys. Make sure you download the app if you haven't done so already. God bless you. See ya. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.